Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Joe, Craig Miss, Joe Pizzapia, back with you for another edition of our show. Hit us up on Twitter, on social media, at SportsGrid, at Craig Mish, at Joe Pizzapia 17 Watch our show all over the place. You can find us anywhere. Zumo TV, Pluto TV, Stir, SportsGrid.com, YouTube. Joe, we are just all over the place these days, and we got a lot to get to on the show today. What's going on this morning? No, there's so much to get to, so many things to talk about. And yes, we are everywhere, as we should be. And, uh, I mean, I can't think of a reason uh, why not to watch us, to be honest with you. It seems like not watching us is just you're making excuses. So get with the program. Subscribe to one of these services if you haven't already. You could stream us. You could take us with you on YouTube. I mean, really, no excuses. Let's get on the grid already, will you? Come on. Listen, Pluto TV is free. Zumo TV is free. Stir is free. And they have all kinds of crazy great movies and old TV shows. Who wouldn't want to watch Miami Vice at 1 o'clock in the morning? Come on. This is the great way to go about your day if you want to go ahead and uh, check some of those out. All you right, could pull so, that look off, by the way. Just want to Miami say Vice? that. Yeah, I think you could pull the whole Don well, Johnson. Yeah, I with do. the, I am the a sleeves. South Florida guy. I know. That's why I'm saying it. I think you could, you know, what do they call it? Zhuzhing the sleeves. I'm actually doing that today with the sleeves. You could push the sleeves up with a blazer. Get that look going. Maybe grow a little stubble there. Very uh, rocket. Don Johnson. By the way, Don Johnson, underrated actor. He is terrific in The Watchmen. He's not in it a whole lot, but my goodness, what a great character he played. He He was good in Django, too, I thought. Yes, very good. Yes, indeed. There you go. All right, so uh, look, I, the governor of uh, of New York spoke yesterday. The governor of Florida last week. Um, things are starting to get closer, open up a little bit. I guess the reality is starting to set in a little bit that it looks like we're going to have sports back, but I am starting to think that the idea of having any fans anywhere for the rest of the year is a little bit problematic. I know the president has said that that's a possibility, and I know. There have been officials that have said that they would like to see that happen. But there's a couple of things, Joe, that I think that are interesting that are happening. Uh, First of all, we saw the WWE, we saw UCF, and then this weekend we saw NASCAR all participate in their sports and broadcast without fans. Mm -hmm. And initially, there is some shock. I think that it would be for anything, just essentially not hearing any noise, looking in the stands, seeing no one. But then you come to think about it and you're like, man, this isn't that unusual. And if it'll keep people safe and healthy, I don't think it's that unrealistic. The governor of New York essentially saying to prepare for that, for the remainder potentially of 2020. I think the sports will be played, Joe. I'm not sure if we're going to see any fans. I don't even know if I'll be there as media, but I don't think that we'll see any fans in the stands for months. I think in certain locations, you definitely will not. Uh, The WWE has been doing shows this entire time. They were proclaimed an essential business down in Florida because, as we all know, anything goes where Craig Mish lives in Florida. And it's been a little weird because of all the things, you know, wrestling is really an interactive theater with the crowd. You know, between the chants, between the back and forth, between the performers, it's very different. It's almost, in a lot of ways, more important to have the fans in wrestling than it is to have them at a baseball game. Baseball game, you you know, I've been to Montreal to watch a baseball game in the dying days of the Expos. I could tell you, there was no one in my entire section. Ball game went on. I enjoyed it just fine. Didn't seem to impact the players much. They were just playing like it was a regular game. Didn't matter. 
But for wrestling, right. it was very difficult. But the fact that they have continued to have programming and have that on there, it's been something to watch. It's worked. I've been watching. My kids have been watching. And I think as long as there's a product on TV, people will watch immediately because I, I've been saying this all along. I think people need the ball game. I think it's going to help everybody psychologically start to look forward to something. And baseball is very different than the other sports because it's every day. It's the one thing that baseball has on every other sport every day. There's a new start every day. There's a ball game. And that's, I think, mentally helpful right now during this time. And I would like to see that go forward. And if we get fans by August, September, maybe that's great. If we don't, that's okay too. Uh, I do think you will have fans by the NFL. And I think there's some locations where you might not have fans for MLB or NFL all year, depending upon which those hotspot locations are. New York certainly in question, which is difficult because Yankee Stadium is a tough place to imagine being empty and playing baseball. But at this point, I think the players want to get paid. I think the owners want to make some revenue. And that means getting these games on television. And I think that will be the start. Yeah. And, and I hope that that all happens. But I can tell you that there is still skepticism among all of the leagues that anything will be played. Uh, NASCAR proved over the weekend that you put sports on TV, you will be the king. Uh, we'll have Matt Sells talk about that coming up a little bit later in the show from Fantasy Alarm. But the numbers came in late yesterday of 7 million viewers watching that race on Fox. I was one of them for a period of time, too. So no surprise that that's uh, sort of next on deck. Well, in the quarantine that we have, essentially, uh, probably haven't gotten a haircut at all. And yesterday, I myself included in that, by the way. Uh, but yesterday, Big Ben Roethlisberger uh, posted pictures of him throwing around, and, and I thought that he had made a commitment to not shave that disgusting beard that he had, Joe, but uh, he had to finally make the call. I'm just guessing that being around the house and having people yell at you like you got to shave was probably the trick. But uh, we'll talk a little bit later about comeback player of the year possibilities, and I think Roethlisberger is probably right at the top of that list. No, absolutely. Uh, look, if this is a real sink or swim moment, too, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, because he is an aging quarterback. You are kind of at a weird divide here. The running game's in question there. How well will Connor withstand? And can he stay healthy in a season? How much do you like McFarland, who they just drafted? Some guys in between, like Samuels and Benny Snell. There's a lot going on there. And look, frankly, they are looking up at Baltimore. I don't think anybody <laughs> is questioning that whatsoever. And maybe Cincinnati could be a team on the rise in the next few years. All of a sudden, the dynamic of that division might start to change. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers have been good for so long, Craig, between the Bill Cowher era and the Mike Tomlin era. They've really had an incredible longevity here between those two coaches. And they've only had three coaches in, what, the last 40 years? Could you imagine that? I mean, is there any more greater continuity in sports organization than the Pittsburgh Steelers head coaching so they, job? They, they went right from Chuck Knoll to Cowher to, to Mike Tomlin. Tomlin. Wow. That's it, huh? That is it, my friend. There is no in-betweens. There's no interims. <laughs> and and their ability to stick with them even after some disappointments. There have been some years where I think Tomlin's teams underperformed. Maybe even Cowher's teams, you could make that argument. But they were very steady. And I wonder if that's something that, if you believe in the coach you hire, do you think there's something to that? Of keeping him out there and just saying, hey, we believe in this guy. Let's let him get the message across. Far too often in the NFL, what? Two years sometimes and guys are done. Kind of interesting oh, when yeah. you consider it. Yeah, and I, and I think that what's happened is is public perception, although I don't know that it plays the overwhelming factor in a lot of these decisions from NFL teams. But when Bill Cowher was the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, there was really not a lot of social media at that time that could have pointed to his hits and his misses and the mistakes mm -hmm. 
of all of the coaches are being so magnified. When yeah. you used to watch an NFL game and there was a clear mistake made by a coach, you may see it in a highlight on the Sunday night sports machine, yeah. but it wasn't being played over and over and over and over and over and over again. And you didn't go online to Twitter or YouTube and see it over and over and over and over. And I think that that dynamic has certainly changed. You do not have the leash that you had many years ago because, simply put, everybody knows exactly what you're doing. And everyone knows more. I think the average sports fan, especially in the NFL, is way more educated than they were 20 years ago in terms of the rules of the game, in terms of what's going on in the game. And, you know, not just from fantasy, but from wagering, too, but also just are the way we digest the games, the way content is delivered to us and so much of it. I think we are a smarter fan base, far more well-informed than probably the generation before us. And therefore, we do take to Twitter and social media. We can actually have some informed opinions about that. So, it's definitely going to be interesting. Roethlisberger, you know, going back to him, that's one of those guys that certainly you can point to as comeback player of the year. I wonder who else will be on that list. But I could tell you there's that's always one of those awards that I think every year it's great to see. You know, you don't want to see somebody recapture their spark or, you know, recapture what made them special. And sometimes it's injury. Sometimes it's just bad play. But do you think it's more astounding to come back from a bad injury or from a down season? I mean, it just depends on who the player is. And and I, and I think it, at the quarterback position, as long as you're not a running quarterback that hurts your legs, I think that the likelihood is is that you can come back and come back strong. I mean, we doubted Drew Brees pretty seriously when he had that big shoulder injury many years ago with the Chargers and, um, and came back. Miami passed on him. He ends up going to the Saints, honestly. When he goes into the Hall of Fame, he's going in as a member of the Saints, oh, not the yeah. Chargers. Absolutely. So, he definitely... I think proved it to everybody at that time for sure. Um, one thing that we talked about a little bit yesterday on the show and over the last couple of days, and I thought we would bring it on the show today, so that'll be coming up, is the uh, idea of, we, we've been covering a lot of historical stadiums. Let's be honest. We've done a lot in the last two months. And I think that we're done with it. We capped it off yesterday with Brett Levy's Syracuse Orangemen. And what I decided to do, Joe, is go back in my archives uh -oh. and actually find these events that I ended up covering, that I was at, that I can prove it to you, that I can show you how I got in the building. And so, lucky for me, from probably, I would say, the early, uh, not the early 90s, like the mid to late 90s, all the way through the early 2000s and a little bit beyond, I stopped at some point, I used to keep every single media pass that I had, every single one, every football game, basketball game, Baseball, you name it, I kept it. Now, baseball, I always had a season pass, so it was a little bit different. And so today, we are going to go back into memory lane, and I'm actually going to show you uh, those passes and describe the games that I was at, some championships. And then one of the games I actually got wrong, that uh, Tom Brady game. I, I could have sworn I was at his first start ever. This sounds like the beginning of like a, a one-man theater piece that you're going to go on tour eventually with. This feels like, you know, an evening with Craig Mish. It's like Tuesdays with Maury. Like, like like Mike Tyson. Yeah, exactly like Mike Tyson. Which, by the way, I don't know if you ever saw that. Highly entertaining show. I think I saw it. Was it on Netflix? Uh, or it was HBO? I think it was on Showtime or HBO. Showtime, one of the two. It was on one of the, I did see it there. And it, it was, was terrific. And yeah, he, I, can't, I couldn't believe how good he was in it. He really kind of blew my mind to that. I loved that show. But I, I think it's time. I mean, you know, Game what? Pass with Craig Mish. Starring Craig Mish. A one-man show. I think this is this is your vaudeville. This is your moment. It's going to be this huge. It's it. going to be your Hamilton. I can't wait. 
I kept a lot of those passes through the years. They're they're different looking now, but yeah, championships of different sports and should be a lot of fun to take a look at that. We'll do that a little bit later in the show as well. But coming up next, it's time for us to dive into our This Day in Fantasy Sports and Fantasy Sports Birthdays for May the 19th, 2020. Now, for those of you who watch this every single day and you're wondering, you know, I, you know, how do you differentiate? Who do you put in there? I've had this question asked to me. How do you decide who makes the list, especially of the birthdays? And you know what? I don't have any rhyme or reason for it. It's just whoever I am liking and whoever I am thinking will spark a conversation, will include it in that day. And today is no different because we have the opportunity to actually mix in a little WWF wrestling. We have a wrestler that has a birthday today, Joe, so I included it just there for you. So we Was he a WWF guy or a WWE yes. guy? That's no, the question. WWF. All WWF. right. I guess, I guess everyone would be waiting with bated breath. Hey, they're athletes. They're sports entertainers at the end of the day. Again, it's scripted, but uh, no less the they athletes. Let's they are. And, and unfortunately, not many of them are with us right now. So we'll honor that today as we return coming up next right here on Fantasy Sports Today on Sportsman. Don't go away. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Welcome back. It's May 19th, 2020. It is FST, Fantasy Sports Today here on Sports Grid. It's time for this day in fantasy sports history. I can't wait for a day where we can do this day in fantasy sports history and I can go back to the day before. Still waiting for that. A month, two months, eventually, it's got to happen. If not, it's going to be more Brett Levy giving us lacrosse stuff. And I don't think either of us are ready for that. Let's not have that happen. No, we don't. I love Brett dearly, but I think that's a road... With all the gates and all the Powells, not to go down. Now, I, I did learn something, though, I guess. I, I guess I never knew about major lacrosse families of Syracuse, but now I know. We educate you every day here on the show. We excite you, perhaps. Excitement. Excitement. Mm-hmm. Enthrall not, you. Not I mean, something that would have come to mind for me, but, you know. Well, I'm on, on the show end. now with you, so it changes things. I'm very okay. exciting. <laughs> it wouldn't come to mind on, e- on either of us, but that's fine. All right, uh, this day in fantasy sports history, we got it. May the 19th, 2020. Let's go back. We start off in 1936, the beginning of what became an iconic and very, very heavily interested and watched draft. The NFL said, hey, look, let's go ahead and start a draft where we pick kids from college and they get to play in the NFL. And that happened on this day, Joe, back in 1936. And it was just the beginning of what became essentially a second event where the draft is sort of its own season and the season is its own season too, so to speak. Yeah, the draft, everybody's an expert all of a sudden for the month leading up to it and the months afterwards. And uh, it is one of the great spectacles of sports. We were talking about, I think just yesterday, we were discussing the NFL draft and how great of a job they do 
in creating this event of pomp and circumstance. And it's fantastic. I love the NFL draft. I know at a certain point I go, who, who's that guy? Why are we taking him? And I'm a sports guy. And I still don't know who half these guys are that they're taking. Cause I'm unfortunately not the biggest college football guy. I'm trying to change that, trying to get better about that. But my goodness, the NFL draft at this point, they get better ratings in the world series of baseball. Okay. That's how good the ratings are for the NFL draft. And not just this year, cause there was nothing else to do. It's always like that. It is an incredible thing to behold what they've created out of it. Uh, some of the great stories that have come out of it too. And to watch some franchises every now and again, get reborn through the draft, whether it be in a trade, whether it be in taking that one franchise quarterback or whatever that is, that's exciting. And I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, the best thing about the draft is watching someone's dream come true. That's not something you get to watch every shattered. day. I thought you were going to say shattered. Well, shattered too. Maybe, maybe for some people. Watching someone's dream shattered. No, see now come true. I mean, it's a beautiful moment to watch these kids celebrate with their families and whoever the girlfriend at the time is before they dump her and get another girlfriend uh, into that. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, if you have your NFL girlfriend, you know, let's be honest, that's what happens to these guys. That's right. Yeah, you squirm. Like I said, exciting television. But that's what it's all about. It's about these kids getting their opportunity to see their dreams come true after all that hard work, all that sacrifice for their families and for them. And that is good television. And the NFL recognizes that. And that's why we have such a spectacle of the NFL draft. And and by the way, is there anybody who's ever right about the NFL draft? Because it seems like there's a lot of people who are draft experts. And every year I read all their mock drafts and all their things. And after the first three picks, I don't feel like anybody gets it right at all. No, I don't think so. It's so what's the point? Though. They're a draft expert. Uh, maybe I should be because, a draft because expert. Because they just people want to, you know, guess. They want to be in that game. And so regardless if they're right or wrong, I mean, we're guessing with everything that we do in sports. So why not the draft? Make it the same thing. People make predictions. They're wrong. And then they look silly. And that's the end of it. Mm -hmm. uh, 1984, the Edmonton Oilers, along with Wayne Gretzky, win their first ever Stanley Cup title over the New York Islanders. This began the multi-championship years for uh, Wayne Gretzky, who doesn't get talked about enough as a top mm -hmm. athlete in sports. It's I think everyone's pretty well established that he's the best hockey player of all time, but never kind of shows up in the conversation. Documentary series on Wayne Gretzky, I'd watch it. And this was the passing of the torch, too, because the Islanders were kind of a dynasty at that point in time in the early 80s. Uh, and they passed the torch basically to the Oilers, who were as dominant as possible. And then eventually you had the Gretzky moving on situation to L.A., and Mark Messier eventually moving on to New York. And then that team, you know, really hasn't been that relevant since. And it's amazing because small town Edmonton, really compared to some of those other cities that have huge hockey teams. And Edmonton was just, there was nobody better for that period of time. And then ever yeah. since, they've been spinning their wheels. Well, they finally have one of the best players in the league. And uh, now, yeah. Game, so hopefully yeah. that will change things for them. Uh, 1987, Magic Johnson named the NBA MVP. So this was sort of in the middle of the show that we were just watching. But uh, Magic Johnson had his share of uh, MVPs. So did Larry Bird. So did Michael Jordan. Uh, 2009, the LA Clippers win the NBA draft lottery and take uh, a kid named Michael Olua Candy. Now, uh, Olua Candy, if I'm not mistaken, went to Pacific, which is not the most decorated of colleges. Uh, Olua Candy was, I mean, I guess, I mean, bust is a strong word for him <laughs> because he was a capable player. I like, I think he played in the NBA for a long period of time. He was not worthy of the first pick overall, but you know, he wasn't Kwame Brown either. So like I'll put him somewhere in the middle, but make no mistake about it. It, it was not a good pick. 
by the Clippers. No, well, the difficult thing is sometimes it's about need, right? And in the NBA, sometimes if you have a big man, even though the big man's the best guy on the board, you're not going to take that. I mean, look at the Michael Jordan draft, right? Olajuwon went one. Number two, Sam Bowie. Why? Because they already had Clyde Drexler, and they said, eh, I don't think that's the right pick for our team. But NBA, it's harder than any other sport, I think, to take best on the board in the NBA because positions are locked in there, and there's only five guys who are starting. So it's a little bit more difficult to do that. But, yeah, I don't – bust is not a fun word to throw around. Yeah, but I don't, don't want to throw other guys that on, on the candy man. I'm not going to do that. The candy Leave man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then finally, 2011, Jason Giambi – Hits three home runs in one game, second oldest player in history at 40 years old to hit three bombs in one game. And uh, and look, Giambi had uh, was in, it was the American League MVP as well. Had a really nice career. I, I thought by now that Giambi would be a manager of a major league baseball team or a coach of some kind. It seemed like it was trending that way toward the end of his career, but it hasn't happened. But uh, look, I mean, he was right there with all the steroid guys. He was in the midst uh, of it all and performed at a very high level for a long time. Yeah. Uh, well, it's funny because McGuire was a coach for a short while as well. Giambi, Bonds as well. Correct me if I'm One wrong, year right? Bonds, yeah. One year with Bonds. So it is kind of funny how some of these guys, you know, want to dabble or did dabble, but uh, I'm trying to remember some of those great sluggers from that era being relevant in baseball now, it's not a whole lot of them when you think about it, right? Yeah. Um, not a lot of coaches or managers that I would say that were part of that, the better players of that generation. That are really, I mean, Don Mattingly. In some way. Don Mattingly's a manager, but I mean, he's earlier than that group. I'm talking about those 90s guys, the late 90s, early 2000s guys. More so of that peak. You don't really see them as much. I wonder Chili why that. Davis. Chili Davis is a good one. Yeah. Heck of a hitting coach there, Chili Davis. Yeah. All right, uh, we go there. <laughs> well, Brett says Beltran. Yeah. But really, is he involved? Really <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. Well done, Brett Levy. Well so done. So much for that. Great coaching yeah. record for Carlos Beltran. <laughs> you know, we didn't have him in our Hall of Fame discussion yesterday. He's un he's undefeated. He probably is a Hall of Famer, though. Not right? anymore. Yeah. Really? Why? He's going to have a hard time. Because of this? Really? After all that? After all those yeah. many, many seasons? I think that's a really up. hard time being and I am the, the ringleader of a cheating scandal in Major League Baseball may knock you down a peg. I am I am the least Beltran guy you'll find, and I still would vote for him for the Hall of Fame. He was a great player. Right. But well, listen, guess we'll as find long out. as you didn't kill anybody, Joe Pizapia is, is cool with it. That's that's basically you gotta draw the line somewhere with Joe. I I think the line is how you play, not you know, did you produce on the field? Because that's pretty much what it's about, the Hall of Fame. Right. So right? Whatever, whatever you do. Uh, in the midst of that, that's irrelevant to the conversation. Or at the end of your career, right? That was the end of his career. So what the Astros did is okay? Uh, stealing signs? Yeah, it's been around for baseball forever. How they did it's not okay. So let's be honest. So let's they, call so, it what it is. So should they have this is a whole other segment. Absolutely, because the rule is don't do it this way. Okay, so do you they think were that cheating they were, the wrong do you way? Think that they were assisted in winning a World Series by employing this cheating? A bit. Okay. Not do as much as everybody else. Do you think their offensive numbers for the players involved had had a little bit of an advantage? Uh, with some all the all the work that I did, uh, a lot of their numbers, George Springer, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, all had better road OPSs than home OPSs. So go figure. So they were not affected. It was just a uh, what I'm saying is I think it was a mental edge more than a physical edge. Personally. But they had an edge. 
Sure. But stealing oh, signs always gives you an edge. It's how they did it. Everyone steals signs all the time in baseball. You play baseball. I play baseball. It's part of the game. I didn't like it. I found it distracting. Yeah, but if I but if I cheat and I try to get an edge by doing something illegal, I'm not going to be rewarded for that. Yeah, stealing signs isn't I, illegal. Like, how they did it was illegal. And, and I don't want to argue caught. semantics, but it's the truth of the situation. And Everyone's high caught. and mighty about just well, they got caught doing it the wrong way. Remember, make no mistake. Stealing signs is not illegal in baseball. It's been one of the oldest traditions in the game. You just can't do it electronically. And they and pushed they the envelope. And they were not wrong. to do it electronically, and they and still it did it. And they did, and then they got hammered for it, as they should. Doesn't mean Beltran's not a Hall of Famer. get hammered for it, too, because none of them are going to sniff the Hall of Fame when it comes up. It's not going to happen. Eventually, maybe they'll get in, but they're not going to get in. They're going to they're make them pay, which they should. They honestly need to be. Um, listen, I'm a big fan of Alex Bregman. He and I know each other very well. I feel terrible for him. I think he's an extremely nice kid, and and I wish that this would go away for him. I like him very much. I like Altuve, too. But there is punishment involved, and they're going to have to suffer for it. That's the end. Um, this day in fantasy sports birthdays, Bill Lambeer, 1957, former NBA champion with the Detroit Pistons. 1976, new Hall of Famer Kevin Garnett. 84, Marshawn Lattimore. I would still say an elite defensive back in the NFL. I don't oh, know absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's still really absolutely. Exciting. Yeah, okay. And then in 1997, uh, Victor Robles, who I think a lot of people have some very, very high hopes for this year. He was one of those players that seemed like he's starting to put it all together based on the prospect pedigree that he had. So uh, there you go, Joe. You got your uh, WWF superstar. I, I did. Andre the Giant. I remember going to see WrestleMania three closed circuit television, Nassau Coliseum. Yeah. That was a, a magical thing where that was the only way you could see it. And I remember Macho Man versus Ricky Dragon Simo. And I remember Hogan picking up Andre the Giant to body slam and the crowd just erupting. And I think I was already hooked on wrestling. And then I think I became a lifer at that moment. It was just the energy of the crowd an incredible moment and uh, an incredible life too. another fascinating life. HBO documentary that was on really Andre the Giant. Yeah, also that. very good. Yeah, I also went to the closed circuit for WrestleMania 2. <laughs> I remember that was I think I have programs still from that. WrestleMania Not two right around one on the two coasts. That. Oh, come on. It's under the chair. I'm going to have to look for that one. Yeah, I don't I do not have that one at my <laughs> grasp. All right. Uh, we got to take a quick time out. We'll be back with more fantasy sports today in just a couple of minutes. When Joe and I come back, we're going to take a look at a NBA season in review. Don't go away. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports. Today, coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to review the last dance, the finale, the two episodes, give our final analysis and review of that. In the midst of that, Joe, uh, it's funny that we should mention uh, Michael Olua Candy, as we did on this day in fantasy sports history, because he was actually the top draft pick in the year that we're going to discuss today. 
Yeah, and uh, it is the 88-89 season, uh, actually the 98-99 season, pardon me, uh, the year after Jordan's retirement. And a lot of people might forget this was also a shortened season uh, because there was a lockout. So the season actually didn't start until February 5th, 1999. And a lot of people speculated that was also part of the reason why the Bulls wanted to break everything up. And I was shocked in the last dance that they never even mentioned the lockout. Uh, I did, were you surprised that? Because there was a real undercurrent there of- I totally, well, yeah, I, it totally flew by me. I didn't even think about it. Yeah, well, this Joey P here connected the dots and said, wow, you know, it's, it's funny because at the time I remember them talking about, well, this is a good time to rebuild because you might have a lockout. Nobody knows how things will react, how the market will react and how teams are going to be in it or not be in it. What kind of trades we'll be able to make or signings we'll be able to make. And can we keep this thing together? And that was a big part of why Kraus was so adamant about turning over this dynasty, even though at the end of the show, we all know they kept saying, oh, yeah, I think everybody would have come back for one more. But it was a little bit more complicated. So the lockout was a, a big part of that. But in that shortened season, Carl Malone turned out to be the MVP, the oldest MVP, by the way, still in NBA history. So what a run for those three years Carl Malone had later in his career with John Stockton and the Utah Jazz with Jeff Hornacek and all those players on there. But Carl Malone really was a player, another one of these guys like Ewing, kind of trapped in the shadow of Jordan. And then as he got older, kind of got passed by sort of by teams like the Spurs. Yeah, it's crazy to think that he could have been the – I didn't even realize that he was the MVP essentially six or seven years after the the previous one. Is that, does that make sense? Uh, he had one – this was back-to-back -back for him actually. Or, or, or oh, Two of the last three, I believe, because there was I one see. where Carl Malone won. And remember Jordan said he was pissed about that and he used that one year. He's always using something, Jordan. It was yeah, always some kind of motivation. Well, yeah. I, you really? You don't believe it? You don't think he – Nah, it was that, I, thought, I think that was very much overblown. Yeah. Well, look, Michael Jordan did announce his retirement also on January 13th of 1999. So that was which official. Which show. Which they didn't show, which is also that during the lockout. <laughs> which well, a lot that of was disappointing to me. That was the, that you asked me what was missed. That's what was missed. But you did know you what? Did you feel like it wrapped up quickly? It felt like it wrapped up rather quickly that show. I mean, we'll get into the next I did second. not expect them to show the wizard stuff. Me neither. But I, but. Uh, I was watching with my wife and I said, you know, that they that's not fair that they didn't show his retirement. And you know what? He didn't want to be embarrassed. And I get it. But isn't that the one where he did the ninety nine point nine percent retirement? Right. I think so. And then he came back um, two years later. So, yes. So, you know, with all due respect to Michael Jordan, like you got to eat that one. Like I mean, that right? was that was that was weak. It was, it, it was a little bit, again, we'll get into that next segment. This is about the year after Jordan, so we'll give him too much attention here. We'll give him enough attention All in right. the next segment. But New York Knicks became the only, uh, only the second seed, uh, number eight, to actually advance by defeating a number one seed. Everybody remembers the Matumbo moment, but then the Knicks did it a couple years later. Against the Heat, right? That is correct. And oh, uh, look, okay. this season also, <laughs> when you look at it, uh, the finals this year were obviously the San Antonio Spurs, and they ended up going on to win. The MVP of the finals was Tim Duncan. So mm -hmm. this is the beginning of that long Popovich run with the Spurs where they were so good for so long. David Robinson, the beginning of that, and obviously the Mono Ginobili's and Tony Parker's, who we just mentioned on the show yesterday. Some great, great players there. And hey, is Ginobili a Hall of Famer? Did we miss him? Did oh, I miss him? You know, we talked about Tony Parker. Maybe yeah, but that's, his name is not Manu Ginobili. Did I miss him? Brett, no, Hall of Famer, but, uh, Manu he Ginobili. Is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, let's get Brett Levy in here because if yes. Brett, 
He says yes. Oh, wow, I, bad I, job I by me. Did, is Manu Ginobili's not playing this year, right? I, I don't believe Did he so. play last year? I think he did. No. <laughs> he says 100%. Two years removed. Boy, two years, yeah. I've been too much into baseball. <laughs> so, yeah, we got I got I have to apologize to Manu Ginobili. I did not have Manu Ginobili um, uh, in the Hall of Fame. Wow. That oversight on my part. I know I he's gotta, a fan of the show. So got to own that. We definitely got to get that out to him. Also, so uh, they the have leaders. Robinson, Duncan, Parker, and Ginobili all in I the Hall of Fame. I remember Park, uh, wow, gosh, all in the Hall of Fame, probably. Well, Parker's getting in for sure, too. Yeah, I mean, it probably, I mean, that was a great team. I mean, you're talking that's the same pantheon of, like, those Boston Celtics teams that have Byrne and McHale and Parrish and Dennis Johnson. I mean, like, you know, when you have four of the starting five in the Hall of Fame, that's pretty impressive. Points per game that year in the shortened season, Allen Iverson led the league with 26.8. Uh, this was AI starting to become the player that everybody wanted to uh, to make him and anoint him after his years at Georgetown. Chris Webber, who we just talked about on the show, with the Sacramento Kings, the way I remember him, leading the league in rebounds. Assists per game was Jason Kidd. Blocks per game, too, your heats, Alonzo Mourning. So Alonzo Mourning, the two, that was... You know, kind of the heat really starting to heat up, as it were, heat within your head. Those are great games. Yeah. Those are some terrific games. Also, when you're looking at the NBA awards, besides Carl Malone, the rookie of the year, your boy, Vince Carter. So there you go. We talked about wanting to anoint that next star in the league. And I know the NBA wanted Vince Carter to be the next MJ. Great player. Probably not Michael Jordan, but a great player in his own right. No one's Michael Jordan, and it couldn't be. Defensive Player of the Year was Alonzo Mourning, and the sixth man and most improved player, Daryl Armstrong of the Magic, a name I that know. I have not thought of in many years, my friend. I remember him very well. Look, um, you know, the, these were the uh, – was this was the Shaq years in Orlando, right? This was the uh, the waning years of Shaq in Orlando, and then the transition of Shaq moving on from there. But NBA first team was Tim Duncan, Carl Malone, Lonzo Mourning, Allen Iverson, and Jay Kidd. The well, rookies Shaq that year. Shaq was in Orlando. He made a lot of those guys good like Jordan did. I mean, Shaq, Absolutely. You know, he was double teamed in the middle. And Daryl Armstrong was a guy on the outside. And Horace Grant was on that team, too. Hey, and Penny. Those, those teams they were had, They really had really good, good teams. But they also listen. had Nick Anderson and Dennis Scott and Scott Skiles. They had a lot of quality NBA. The reality of Shaq is... He's probably one of my favorites of all time. Um, I I really love Shaq. He's I'm a big big fan of his. As am I. But but he always, <laughs> I mean, wherever he went, it was kind of like it was a huge love affair and a bad breakup. Like it was just. I mean, maybe that's just the way that you know, maybe sports are. It's maybe a bit of the, the nature of the him. NBA too, isn't it? I think that's uh, also the nature so. of the NBA. Beast Magic, amazing. Finals, breakup, bad. Go to Lakers, breakup, bad. Go to the Heat, breakup, bad. I mean, it was like everywhere he went. Yeah, but at least he won everywhere he went. Uh, NBA after the Heat, he didn't win anything. That's <laughs> true. And by then, what else did he have to do? Uh, All-rookie first team was Vince Carter of the Raptors, Paul Pierce of the Boston Celtics, Jason Williams of the Sacramento Kim, Kings. Him and Chris Webber were quite a duo there for a few years. Mike Bibby of the Grizzlies and Matt Harpering of the Orlando Magic. So a pretty strong rookie class there uh, as well. Yeah. But, you know, you think of this, this is that transition there to these new superstars, the Jason Kidds of the world, the Allen Iversons of the world. And I think it's very important to recognize that when Jordan left, the baton didn't get passed to Carl Malone and Stockton and those other guys that have been fighting with Jordan. Basically, those guys, their window kind of ran out. 
And I know I was kind of saving this for the next segment, but I'm going to ask a question now. Can you imagine, let's say the Jordan era never happened. Could you imagine what we would think of Malone and Stockton had they won back-to-back titles, where we would consider them? They're already Hall of Famers, all-time greats. But think of back-to-back titles, how huge that was, and how few teams have done that. What would we think if Patrick Ewing had a title or two? What would we think about some of these players like Barkley? I'd say exactly what we think about it. We'd say that Hakeem Olajuwon. (laughs) Well, there's another guy. Would Hakeem Olajuwon have had one more? He won two titles. I think he's pretty solid. All right, would have been three. Maybe more, maybe ten, but 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 Elijah Wan got his because Jordan, uh, you know, retired. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the reason why he had it. Now, now again, Houston, if I'm not mistaken, had to make a huge comeback in one of those seasons. That's when Rudy Tomjanovich made the uh, "Never underestimate the heart of the champion" speech. Yes, uh, but still, that was. I mean, Houston won those seasons essentially because Jordan was not there. Now, remember, one of those years. Um, the Bulls lost to the Magic, and that's when Shaq was coming up. But the reality is, is that I don't think Elijah Wan wins two titles if Michael Jordan's still on the Bulls. I think they they win at least one, if not both. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. Um, it's yeah, look, this was again my favorite era of the NBA was in the '90s. Personally, I grew up with the NBA in the '80s, the parquet floor, Boston Celtics, and all of that. But then that transition into the Jordan era was it was must see television, and I miss it. And I. I promise you, I know you've made the pact. I'm shaking your hand on this pact. When NBA returns, I am going to watch NBA and try my best to find a team to be enthralled with. I love I love Giannis as a guy. I think Giannis is just so easy to root for. I really like him as a person, so it might be that. But uh, I, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But I'm going to try really hard because if one thing The Last Dance did, it made me miss basketball. And I never thought I'd say that, but I do. Uh, some of these names, too. I mean, Kendall Gill leading the league in steals. Del Curry in three-point percentage. Reggie Miller in free-throw percentage. Um, again, these are the names you think of. And that was the other telling part. I know it wasn't the last part of the last dance, but that Reggie Miller stuff between him and Jordan, that was some fun little fodder. I really enjoyed it. And that was the one rivalry I'm glad they touched on. Because I don't think that got enough credit because I think their rivalry with the Indiana Pacers, those were some ferocious contests. Yeah, it, it did seem as though that was at least the toughest uh, from Jordan's lens. I, I don't know that Utah would agree with that. I don't know that Detroit well, He said agree. it was them in Detroit. That's what he said on the on the broadcast. And Yeah, but again, I mean, this I, I, as the show went on, uh, from a production standpoint— I'm happy it happened. I'm glad that he gave all of his time to do it because without him, we don't get any kind of entertainment on Sunday nights. Mm-hmm. But as the show went on, it became more about looking at it through Jordan's lens and his opinion than a documentary, in my opinion. I thought the first four or five episodes was telling a story, and then I thought toward the end was telling his story, which is mm-hmm. fine. I mean, it's still a good show, but... There were some things that were not in there and some opinions that... <laughs> Sounds like a Jordan finals, right? Where eventually he just takes over at the end? It's kind of... <laughs> that's a good analogy for that. Because you cannot tell... I mean, I know the story was just about the Bulls and how it ended, but you, are you kidding me? He's not going to show when he retired and sat on that podium and said that I'm 99.9% retired? It felt a little... That was... That was a, I mean... That's up there with Iverson in practice and Herm Edwards when you play to win the game and Jim Mora saying playoffs. Like, that's there with that. I mean, you threw a 99.9% and then you come back with the Wizards? Not only that, I just can't believe that the word lockout wasn't mentioned at any point in time. 
because that was huge that next year. And it had a huge impact on Jordan retiring. It had a, this season that we're just discussing here had a huge impact on why the Bulls saw it as an opportunity to turn things over in what could be a no season or a potentially shortened season. And yet it was not even mentioned was so bizarre to me. And I kept waiting and waiting and it just never happened, Craig. It was so bizarre. Yeah. All right. Well, the next one, um, next segment, what we'll do is we'll talk more about this, but obviously the next documentary is, uh, is the next 30 for 30 at least is on Roy Halliday. And then the one after that, it looks like Lance Armstrong. And then that will be Mm. followed by uh, a really good one with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa's chase for home run history. We got to take a quick time out. We'll be back with more fantasy sports today in just a couple of minutes. Craig and Joe, we're back. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. And welcome back, Craig and Joe, with you here on Fantasy Sports Today. We're going to have to try and find something new to watch on television on Sunday. Although I hear Billions is very good, Joe. I got a lot of really good reviews on Billions. I may have to pick up Billions. Uh, I've heard good things. I have not seen I have not seen Billions. But for a couple of years, I haven't heard a bad thing about it. But I, I can't take on any shows right now. As you know, the Purple Book is in... Serious work right now. Very high demand right now. And my book, The Black Book, so that's kind of eating up the time. But when that's over, I always do like to try to reward myself with some kind of thing that I've been looking forward to seeing. So I'm not sure what that is yet, but uh, I did finally finally finish Ozark a couple weeks ago, so that was very enjoyable. I did like that quite a bit. That, That lived up to the hype. Sometimes you get these shows, they don't live up to the hype. Everybody talks them up, talks them up, and then I never saw them. I actually never saw Breaking Bad, so I was kind of... Kind of wondering if maybe that's the the road to go. That down. was worth doing. Everybody says the same thing. The first season's a little slow. After that, it's very good. Is that true? Yeah, the first few episodes are, are you got to power through it, and then it's great from there on. Okay, yeah. there you go. I'm not having any. Better Call Saul is is maybe eighty percent as good as Breaking. Really? It's really good. Wow. Better Call Saul's really good too. And that's yeah, like a prequel, right? Should I watch that yeah. ahead or no? Uh, I don't think so. I think yeah. I think the way that they've instructed it is you should watch Breaking Bad first okay. because there, you wouldn't have it wouldn't have the same impact. I don't think for you watching them in that's what I've heard. So mm. I don't know. Very good. But when Better Call Saul came out, I that's when I started watching Breaking Bad because I'm because I was like, okay, now they're doing a prequel on this show. I got to get this done, and I did yeah. it. I knocked it out probably like a month. To the How many time. seasons is it? It's like seven? A lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I did. I knocked it out. Uh, well, listen, yeah, I did Game the... of Thrones. Also, I mean, you just got to commit to it. Game of Thrones was an easy one. That was, I mean, no, Game of Thrones. I could easy. never. Stop. I mean, there's a lot of seasons, a lot of hours, but I. But before for the me, premiere happened, I did it. Uh, for me, I, I. But you watched it from the beginning, didn't you? Uh, I watched it from the second season. I didn't. Okay, I knew well, I was going to like it so one much. Episode zero. I wanted to watch. I wanted to watch it when it first came out. I was very hesitant because I said, I'm going to like this so much. I know I'm going to like it so much. And if it doesn't come back, I'm going to be pissed off. So I made sure I waited for the second season to be coming out before I started watching the first. And then I was on the wagon, watched the first one in like a week or two before I got to the second season. And having to wait every week was torture. It was torture. It was horrible. I mean, just to wait because you get spoiled. I never had that. 
Yeah. I'll tell you, if you're looking for a good show, have you ever watched Turn? Washington Spies. Fantastic show. Some friends of mine are in it. Uh, one of our mutual friends, Ian Kahn, plays George Washington. It's actually uh, a, it's the story of the spy ring during the Revolutionary War uh, that all took place in this small towns in New York and New Jersey and all throughout and how they got information, how they turned the tide of the war. But you want to talk about tension and acting and some incredible stuff. One of the greatest villains of all time check out turn it's on netflix actually as well now it was on amc for a couple of years only four seasons very quick you get in there four seasons you're done no eight seasons no you know 22 episodes none of that's just 10 10 for four seasons and you're done very well worth it i think you'll enjoy it, especially if you like history at all look we'll uh we'll get to that one mm-hmm. well we have some more time here now that sunday night is basically absorbed with well, unless you like billions, and a family. lot of people do. <laughs> well, I mean, come on. I mean, I got family all day long here in my I house, know. so I, I could use a little bit of a distraction. And so uh, I had that with uh, The Last Dance, like everybody else did. Uh, as I said, my review is I would give it a B plus. I, I, re- I think the first six episodes were an A, and then the last four episodes were, were pretty self-serving, it's in tough. my opinion. That was, that's a tough grade. I, I think I learned enough things that I didn't know and I like how candid everybody was about everyone, including Jordan. I think people were pretty clear about how they felt about Jordan, that he could be a bully, but they still loved him anyway at times for other reasons. I would say that's an A-minus show. I, I don't I think it's the A+. What happened to Tiger King? That's all we talked about for two weeks. Nothing. It, it didn't no have Tiger. a staying power. It's like done. It's like it never happened. No one oh, ever. No. They're, like, they're trying to make a movie. We talked about it. I, I know, but it was like uh, we were possessed with Tiger King for like wow. three straight weeks. And now like yeah. Well, here's the thing. You, you drive by an accident scene, right? A car That's crash scene. You want to look and stare, but then eventually what happens is you move on. You drive past, but it's something to walk, and you're talking about it, and everyone's in the car's talking about it, and then eventually a couple miles down the road, you move on to the next thing. So, The Rabbit King. Uh, I don't know what animal. Well, by the way, there's some it. virus killing rabbits. I don't even want to get into it on let's the show. Not, but let's not. Murder hornets, oh. rabbit baby viruses. Baby. Now let, let's talk more about it. And let's talk about some of the, the players too, who, you know, could have been even higher up on the all time NBA lists as you were, if not for Michael Jordan Stockton Malone. We kind of talked about last segment, that duo all time, great duo. I think everybody, when you think of great duos in basketball, Stockton Malone has to come to mind. I know for me it does. I would imagine for you. Do you think had Jordan not been there, they would have gotten at least one of those years a title? Yeah, I uh, I have to say at least one. I would agree. It, it is I, it is so hard in this day and age to win back to back anything. And I know that this is not this day and age. It was the past where there were more dynasties in all of sports: the Cowboys, the 49ers, the Bulls. Um, you know, uh, I, there there are a lot of teams in sports that ended up doing it back then. It's a lot harder now, probably, but I would have to give them one. I I think you have to give them at least one. I know some people say, well, the way they lost the first time, that was kind of motivation for them to get back, and that might be true. But I think at least one they get somewhere along that line. Gary Payton and the Sonics too. It's funny because. They got into that series a little bit when we talked about that a few weeks ago. And, you know, Gary Payton was a tremendous defensive player. And maybe that was the bad move there by Carl, not putting him on Jordan from the get go. And that could have really lost them the series. But Gary Payton and Sean Kemp, do you think they would have had one? I, I tend to say no. I'm not sure. It's just, but that's, there's that's a, a question. One. That's a question. Charles Barkley and the Suns. I remember how good that team was. That team was loaded. 
absolutely incredible team there. Uh, not just Dan Marley, but Sabalas was on that team. They had uh, Warren Sek was on that team as well, I believe, at the time. Just a tremendous, deep team. I think the Suns would have won. I think Barkley would have had a title that year for sure. He was MVP that year. You know, uh, Seattle also was the team that was the one seed that lost to Denver uh, as the eight, too. Mm-hmm. Something to think about as well. But, yeah, I think um, I think it, it's fair to speculate on any of these, to be honest with you. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, Clyde Drexler is another one, too. Well, Clyde he Drexler. got one. He ended up getting one. He did. But would he have had two? I guess that's the question. Uh, maybe. Those Portland teams are really good. Him yeah. and Terry Porter, pretty good. I'm not, I still, to me, I think of those teams with the Trailblazers in that era, and I think they would have lost to teams like the Knicks. I think they would have lost to teams like the Pacers, it's frankly. Possible. Personally, it's possible. I think the East was very, very strong back then. And uh, the Reggie Miller Pacers are another one, too, where Reggie Miller had some incredible playoff moments, but never quite had the payoff you know, that we are all looking for. And that's. Again, it's just the fate of being in that conference for so many years that can you imagine being in the conference and just never getting to the finals so many times. How how frustrating to have great teams winning 60 games. And that was the stat that really popped for me. The stat when I was watching that show the other night, when they said that the Bulls beat in the playoffs seven 60-win teams, that was that blew my mind. How about you? What do you think of that? Is that dominant or what? Yeah, no, I, that's... <laughs> It's just seven, seven. I mean, that's, that's crazy. I mean, you can't even, can't even fathom a stat like that. It's just, it's absolutely tremendous. Uh, Of his 15 NBA seasons, Jordan played all 82 games, nine times. The most impressive came obviously in his final season at the age of 40. He still played every game in his final three seasons with the Chicago Bulls. Jordan helped the Bulls reach a record of get this 203 and 43 regular season. That was their record. That includes the 17-win season in 95-96. That is quite a regular season dominance. I mean, these some of these stats that you pull out here uh, are absolutely brilliant. Um, here's another one, too. In a rare NBA accomplishment, Jordan posted 15 triple-doubles during the 88-89 season, including a streak of 10 in 11 games. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's not that unusual now, but it was for the time. For the time it was, right. I mean, we had well, Westbrook, I mean, Westbrook years ago. Westbrook is, is getting a triple-double every game now. So. Right now. But, I mean, up until then, I mean, that was oh, – Who was the yeah. player I mean, before that that had averaged – Was it Oscar Robertson, I think it was? Yes. Averaged a triple-double for a whole season, then Westbrook and was then the George, and, Yeah, I mean, look, to have 15 in a season is incredible. Uh, 10 out of 11 was was incredible. Now, unfortunately, with – you know, there's not a lot of defense being played, so there's a lot of offense. It's pretty easy, and so – I mean, I wouldn't say what Russell Westbrook has done is easy, but he Easier has shattered standards, sure. everything. Yeah, yeah. He shattered all. Speaking of defense, how about this stat? Michael Jordan is the only player in NBA history to be Defensive Player of the Year and average 30 points in a season. He averaged 35 in 87-88. So we talk about complete players, and this is why I always don't think there's much of a conversation because there have been some great offensive players in NBA history. But I don't know if there's ever been a complete player as dominant in his era and as dominant in the best era of the NBA as Jordan. And I, you know, like, I know everyone likes to debate it. I just don't think there's a debate. Jordan reached six NBA finals, has six rings, and missed just six regular season games, too, during those combined seasons. So this was a guy, too, wasn't sitting out very much, wasn't missing any time, wasn't coasting until the playoffs and then turning it on. He was out there pretty much every night for all six of those championship seasons. Can you imagine? Basically, it's an average of one game a year he was missing. Yeah, no, I, I it's just, and getting beaten up. 
<laughs> I mean, those guys are. I mean, you talk about things that have changed. Nothing has changed more of any sport with the basically having the maintenance rule now. You know, oh. load management. I mean, that it, nothing comes close to anything like that in sports. Yeah, I well, mean, I guess pitcher. pitchers yeah, not completing games, you right. know, starting pitcher. Sure. Oh, that's a good um, one. Yeah, but the idea that anybody plays a full season in the NBA or there's more than one or two players is just done. I mean, the yeah. best player. Well, LeBron, LeBron is, is still among the best players in the NBA if he's not the best. But essentially, most people feel Kawhi Leonard is a top three player in the NBA, if not top four, top five. I mean, he could be the best. To, to just basically say that Kawhi Leonard is going to play 60 games in a, in a regular season, it's just, like, unheard of. Like, you cannot buy tickets, assuming, not that you would buy tickets to see Kawhi Leonard. I don't think a lot of people would. But you can't buy tickets to see him. Like, you, it's just unthinkable. You, you well, may not get to When you is... bought a ticket to see the, the, the Bulls, right. you were seeing Jordan. Right. The Celtics, it was it was a bird. Lakers, mm-hmm. Magic Johnson. Yeah, and and the fact that they all showed up in an era when they were getting pounded. I, I mean, I, I mean, like between the Pistons, just getting hammered all over the place. Between you saw those those Indiana Pacers team with the Davis brothers just beating up on guys. Man, how about the Knicks with Anthony Mason and Charles Oakley? I mean, these were physical games. How those guys just got absolutely pounded over and over again. And still managed to get on the court the next night. It's it's mind blowing to me. And again, it's it's the tough guy NBA era. And I think that that's why we look back at it so wistfully. And I'm very glad they did this. And you're right, it did fill the Sunday nights, but it also gave us a lot of insight into a lot of what goes on in professional sports that maybe people like you know more than most. But getting to see what goes on in those locker rooms with those coaches, with those players. That is something that is very difficult to see, especially at that level of a guy like Jordan who lets and, you in. And, and by the way, the security guards having personal security yeah. guards—that's something that Jordan, I think, I think he started that because a lot. I've seen a lot of players since then sure. have something similar. All right, uh, we'll be back with more fantasy sports today. We'll take a look at some NFL futures, MVP, comeback player of the year. Don't go away. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com.